Hello, this is Dr. Jolle Kerpenstein, one of your hosts of the PER podcast. Both Dr. Susan and myself wish you the best for the holiday season and of course a happy and healthy new year. Thank you so much for your support of the podcast and making this podcast such a great success. We could not have done it without you. We both are taking a short two-week period off and will be back in early January. For now, we'll be repeating two of the best shows ever. Today, it is the most downloaded show of 2020 and next week, it will be the best show of all times. This show was aired in March of 2020, just when the pandemic hit North America. And our guest is Dr. Serge Chaloup, who's talking about us, about the treatment of chronic kidney disease. But before we start the show, I would like to share a short message of Dr. Susan. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Susan Little, wishing all of you the best holiday possible in this pandemic year. I know many veterinary team members are working during the holiday. Thank you so much. Yola and I are replaying some of our most popular episodes for you. We hope you enjoy them and we look forward to sharing more great feline medicine conversations with you in 2021. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kerpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Serge Loop, and welcome to the Purr Podcast. I am actually your invited guest, but I am surrounded by my hosts. Yes, and this is number two, by the way, which he forgot to say, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay, because he's a really good intro guy. I know, he yeah. is a great intro guy. And this is Dr. Yola Kerpenstein. And I'm Dr. Susan Little, and we're so thrilled that you're with us, Serge. Yeah, yes. we're going to get you to announce more of these. And this is the Purr Podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. So if we look at the full population of cats, mm -hmm. how many cats will get renal disease? Well, I mean, there's a lot of statistics out there. I've read one that cats 15, age 15 and above, 80% of them will develop some kind of renal dysfunction. You know, nine and above, 30%, you know, so it's... It's, it's common. Yeah. So, but, and, and so for me, as an illogical surgeon, I would think, you know, <laughs> if my cat gets to nine, I need to start thinking diet change. I actually recommend at the age of eight to start screening that geriatric cat for early kidney disease, proteinuria, hypertension, and potentially other associated things. I don't know what your what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think we, we start to change our approach to cats around like seven or eight. I think yeah, it's a, a reasonable seven. age to say, okay, you're in a different life stage now. <clears throat> we need to up our game in terms, not just renal disease, obviously, like exactly. uh, hyperthyroidism, right. you know, whatever. And, yeah. uh, and then we need a life stage appropriate diet, right? Agreed. And so that often means moving to a geriatric diet, which can yep. function kind of as an early it, it or pre-renal, whatever exactly. you want to call it, right? Yep type of diet for yep. those guys. Agreed. So, yep. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's a really reasonable um, mm -hmm. route to go. And I think it's also, it, it you can explain it easier mm. to the owner why you do this because mm. you have the statistics behind it. Right. So it makes it makes a lot of sense to, mm -hmm. and, and that goes back to the re-education of veterinarians in general to think about diet as a therapeutic option. Yep. And renal is the place where you should think about that. Absolutely. And still there's a lot of people that have, yeah, uh, they 
don't trust it completely. They, you know, the cat doesn't show any clinical signs, so let's wait and yeah. until he gets really sick, and then often it's too late. Right, and you know, and and in going off of that, you know, when they say the cats aren't really sick, I think that's where that weight loss paper really yeah. showed mm-hmm. that. Hey, yeah. they, you know, that cat that lost nine percent of its body yeah. weight, mm-hmm. that's yeah. a clinical sign. Yeah. That means there is inflammation, there are changes going on in the body. Yeah, we shouldn't ignore it. Yeah, that's not talk, benign. And, People tend to shrug off yeah, these exactly. like small, small gradual weight weight, changes, right? But we talked about that. So every time yeah. a cat comes in your clinic. You yeah. weigh it, and if you see a trend, look at the trend There's and do reason. something about it. So, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and it's not that an obese cat suddenly exercises. Well. No, no. And no. taking the weight own. is free. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So um, let's talk a little bit more about renal diets because we've got very solid evidence mm-hmm. that they are uh, very helpful. <laughs> Um, uh, uh, for this disease. But as you know, the what puts some people off or what worries mm. some people about them is the protein restriction. Yes. Right? So let's talk a little bit um, about that. And wh- why are pe- people are afraid of that? Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. So people are afraid of that. I think, A, that's probably a misconception. They totally. don't really understand that it's yeah. not truly a huge protein restriction. Right. It's more a modification of what yeah. amino acids are going to be in there. And more importantly, phosphorus, right? Yeah. I mean, we forget about phosphorus. And research is coming out and showing that, hey, phosphorus is potentially one of the that's your killers. Guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, we can talk about those later, but there's yeah. a couple of papers that have come out that show that, you know, cats that develop chronic kidney disease may have, you know, elevated FGF23, yeah. which is a sign of, you know, phosphorus in dysregulation advance. in advance of chronic kidney disease. Mm. So I think that's the huge The other one is that cats aren't going to like the diet. Mm. That bothers me a lot. Why? Because these cats are already coming to us not feeling well, yeah. already not eating very much. Mm. And I think our tendency, again, in wanting to help those cats is here, take this treatment, which has been shown to work, but it's a switch immediately. And we forget that these yeah. kidney cats are actually GI patients initially. I love the way you, know? you phrase that. No, that's good. You know, that's they're, good they're nauseous, they're, yeah. they're vomiting, they don't feel good, yeah. they're dehydrated. We forget about all those things. Yeah. I tend to wait on starting a renal diet for oh, a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. you know, stimulate their appetite, give them subtube fluids, make them feel better. Set then them up for success. Exactly. And I actually wait to treat hyperphosphatemia. I start them on the diet, one thing at a time, recheck the phosphorus. Mm-hmm. It's not in the guidelines I like to use, which is the IRIS guidelines. Then I treat that, then et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. One thing at a yeah. time over yeah. multiple weeks. Yeah. I think people also are not understanding that it's <laughs> not about the amount of protein, but quality too. The quality, quality. exactly, yeah. the amino acids, yeah. exactly, so. exactly. Yeah, and, if, and the nutrients. Again, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but I think some of the studies of chronic kidney disease kidney disease cats on renal diets have looked at lean body mass yes. and they don't lose lean body mass. No, that landmark yeah. study by Dr. Ross yeah. um, that, that she published, 2006 study um, that showed, you know, zero uremic crises for the cats that yeah. were on renal diets. They all maintain lean yeah. body mass. It's yeah. an interesting line that no one mm-hmm. tends Nobody to talks about not that. talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so I think the key thing is cats have to eat, they have to eat. their caloric intake. Yes. But for them to do that, you know, we all know cats are aliens from outer space. They are. <laughs> you know, they're very picky. They're very finicky. If you switch something immediately, they're yeah. going to look at you and it's like, no way. No way. No way. Yeah. So why would we do that to a cat that's already not feeling well? Although I do think that all companies that produce quality renal diets really have looked at the palatability of these diets. Yeah. Absolutely. And Especially these days. Yeah. Yep. Tremendously. Yeah. And you see yeah. that's a huge yeah. difference. Yeah. yeah. 
So. Yeah, but I think it's the approach to the cat, right? Like a diet mm -hmm. change is never an emergency. No, I can't. I exactly. mean, I can't easily oh, I think like that. I mean, it's not an emergency. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. welcome. Yeah, but please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but it isn't really, is it? Like, yeah. I can't think no. of a situation where it's an emergency to make right. a diet change. Exactly. So you know, I I love the fact that you know uh, that you probably talk to owners that we're going to do this. Yeah. And we want to uh, treat uh, and I and I love the way you say they're a GI patient first, mm -hmm. right? So. Yeah, because we've got some great treatments for that, right? We can use mirtazapine, we can exactly. use neuropotent, we can get yep. some fluids into them. I probably yeah. should change it already before that. I mean, we talked about that too. Mm. I mean, right. it, you know, when they have these severe clinical signs right. already, you're way ahead already. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, but some of them come in kind of acute on chronic, you know, scenarios, yes, right? And you've got to get them true. through their yeah. acute of scenario, course, right? And and, yeah. and then often people advise not to change the diet while that cat is in the clinic. Yeah. Exactly. I'm a big fan of that. You know, I mean, food aversion, yeah. you know, Huge cats are cats. the poster children for that. They right? are. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. They'll go home and say, that's it. I'm never going to yes. eat that yep. diet ever and again. I'll say, yeah. was a nice guy, but yeah. 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 I'll right. never talk to you again. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't care. Finger yeah. number two gone. Yeah. 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 So patience. Cats yeah. just need time. Absolutely. They need patience. Yeah, I love that. They need that. a different language. They I mean, they do really need do. a different language, yeah. 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 So there's one class of drugs um, that traditionally we've been using a lot in chronic kidney disease patients. It's kind of falling out of favor, right? At least it is for me, and I suspect it is for you too. And that's... The uh, gastric acid suppressant drugs. Absolutely. Right? So drugs like pomotidine, yeah. omeprazole, um, very interesting things. I mean, there there was a again a landmark study that mm. showed that cats with chronic kidney disease actually don't develop GI ulceration, mm. which was a huge surprise. And that's compared mm. to dogs and humans. Yeah. And the new ACVIM consensus guidelines on mm -hmm. the use of these drugs specifically discourages the use in cats yeah. and we that, Katie on the, yeah we did a, a podcast um that came out a little earlier this year with katie mm -hmm. tolbert yeah. talking awesome. about those yeah Fantastic. yeah so it's it's yeah. just a really good point to yes. underline yes. yeah and, and to know, repeat because mm. people don't always listen so well once you know again. if you have a cat that's not eating we mm -hmm. always tend to jump to famotidine and why not jump to save your finger use mm -hmm. something like mirtazapine which yeah. has been shown mm -hmm. you know in multiple studies one by being by dr quimby that yep. showed that it stimulates their appetite and makes them less nauseous yeah. yes. and they'll gain weight exactly yeah yeah and, and we it has can an say that we can see that yeah, so, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. So they're very lucky in the U.S. because they have a licensed transdermal mirtazapine. Mirtazapine. Yeah, by yeah. Mirta Miritaz, right? Yeah. Mirtaz. Yeah. Yeah, so we have to cross yeah. our fingers and hope we'll get it in uh, We in We've Canada. actually have been able to get it. Uh, yes. But compounded. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, which is kind of a, you know, like a plan B, obviously. Right, exactly. Right, yeah. 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 But in the U.S., they have a new appetite stimulant as well, the ghrelin receptor. Ah, uh, entice. Entice, I think yes. is what it's called. Yes, entice. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, I think it's licensed in dogs. That's right. Have you guys tried it in cats at all? We can't get it. No, yeah. no. I know there is at least one paper in the <laughs> literature using entice in chronic kidney disease cats. I think there's one the paper. Correct, there is. Right? Yep. Yeah. 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 So, and showed a benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they're so they're um, that's a potential new like pathway. Right. I right? didn't realize there was so much difficulty from drugs that are FDA approved to get into well, Canada. You have a whole new different system then I guess. Yeah. I think Yeah. It's mm -hmm. vice versa, right? Because, yeah. for instance, uh, meloxicam, right, was initially approved in Canada, yeah. not in the U.S. for many years. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm yeah. actually not too familiar with all that. So there, there is, uh, and I'm not an expert in this either. There is different licensing systems, and mm -hmm. sometimes it's not necessarily that um, 
a drug that's got approval in the U.S. can't get approval in Canada. Sometimes it's just not worth a company's while. Right. Mm. So Canada is a much smaller market. So yeah. sometimes it's the economics gotcha. that yeah. prevents us from getting a, a drug, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a cost-benefit analysis these guys right. run through. Which makes sense. Yeah. So does Canada follow the European rules more commonly or the U.S. rules? You know, I, do they have I, I don't know enough different. about our veterinary drugs directorate mm-hmm. um, is the government organization mm-hmm. that takes care mm-hmm. of that. But I would not presume to know what they're... I don't know enough about that. So, because yeah. both agencies put so much time yeah. and effort into yeah. this quality yeah. regulation, yeah. it would be kind of silly to start your own. But yeah. you know, right. yeah. that's my simple opinion. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, Serge is right. Sometimes we have drugs in Canada; they don't have the U.S. and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Right, it happens. So, yeah. but anyway, we cross our fingers for some of these yeah. um, other drugs that might help um, our chronic kidney disease patients. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So you know, so that's important, and we know that drugs like um, mirtazapine are safe for chronic use in cats. Correct. You know, which yep. is good to know. Yeah. And even um, drugs like meropitant, yeah, exactly. which has that. You know, so this is a question I get all the time. Mm-hmm. The label says only what is it five Two days weeks or, or five days? That's it. I think yeah, it's five right. days. Five days. That's yeah, right. I think it's five days. Yeah. Sometimes I get confused by countries because it depends on what, yeah. co- what country you're in, right? But it has a very short time. Yep. But but it's okay. Yep. You know, you can use it for longer. Absolutely, than that. study has shown us that yeah. as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always important to recognize that the the terms under which a drug gets licensed doesn't always mean right that we can't um, use it for a longer term. And if right. we've got a study in the literature that supports it, exactly, then, then exactly. we're good. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. So another thing I wanted to bring up is um, the issue of sub Q fluids mm-hmm. um, and sort of the when and the how much and the how often. How do you feel about it? because not a lot of data? Yep. So how do you feel about that? No, there's actually no data. Yeah. I think there's a very old yeah. paper that showed <laughs> like that no giving sub Q fluids could increase. I think GFR was like a paper from you know the 80s uh, i think yeah. um but you're right there's no data but yeah. i think it's a clinical decision yeah. you know cat comes in it has stable chronic kidney disease and isn't clinically dehydrated no signs of dehydration blood work likely doesn't need sub-q fluids mm-hmm. you know higher you get in the staging of virus the likelier that they're going to need sub-q fluids and again the key thing is not to try to drown them because no. you're not fixing anything i think right. that's another misconception about fluids is that the fluids fix the kidneys by mm-hmm. lowering the creatinine but again all you're doing is taking care of the pre-renal component. Mm-hmm. So I I would say uses use it only as needed. So maybe once they're diagnosed and they're feeling ill, that initial period, and then afterwards only when the cat becomes clinically or subclinically with blood work evidence of dehydration, I would mm-hmm. say to use it. Um, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are, but often I'll start maybe every other day, you know, warm the fluids, you know, warm there's a lot the of strategies on, on giving sub Q fluids using LRS potentially yep. just so it doesn't sting. Yep. And, um, you know, and then if the cat needs it, giving it more, and I try never to go more than 80 to hundred mLs. I don't know about you. Yeah. I think um, it's a good volume. Yeah. You know, beyond that, it's kind of uncomfortable. And exactly. if you really need more fluids than that, you shouldn't be getting That's them by problem. the sub Q exactly. route. Exactly. Right. LRS is potassium. Um, it has a little bit, so little you, bit. we can add potassium. So yep. that's sometimes a benefit, right? right? You can bump up the potassium amount mm-hmm. uh, for the hypokalemic cats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's often hard for owners to know. Um, this is a question, you know, that we get when we're working with owners because we'll often set them up with the, the fluids and they have it at home. And they're like, oh, but when? How do I know, right, right? That it's time. So you know, we try to talk to them about things like you know their cat's attitude and their energy level and their yeah, appetite. Appetite. Yeah, and we have a look at the litter box, like that little tiny high you know, dry, oh, hard stools. Yeah. yeah. So that's often an easier way yeah. for owners to tell. Um, as you know, in like an older cat's like skin tinting is not that reliable. No, exactly. You know, I also think a lot of veterinarians will probably grab to sub-Q fluids because it's an easy therapy. It's easy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it, yeah. it 
it gives results, yeah. you know, visible results. Yeah. yeah. You get something and, you know, yeah. it feels better. And right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah, but it is a burden for the owner too. Mm-hmm. So it's it not always easy yeah. to do. And so I, I also think it's important to note that there's no like right or wrong time to do it. It's not like every cat in stage two. Right. You know, now for the rest of your life, you get sub q exactly. like every second day. And I do hear a lot of that. The renal aid kit. Uh, yeah, 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 there's your renal aid kit. Mm-hmm. I hear a lot of that. So I think we have to apply more individuality and more flexibility mm-hmm. to that. Agreed. Yeah, and do it yeah. as needed. And a lot of owners are, are scared of needles, right? Oh. I mean, I've had that. You know, your pet's going to need this. And if you don't have that dialogue, they don't necessarily yeah. tell you they're not comfortable with it. No. And, but, you know, I mean, it is certainly something, right? I mean, you know. Pulling your, your cat's, yeah. you know, skin tent yeah. up and, and putting yeah. a needle in for some owners. And it's a big needle. It's a big mm-hmm. needle. And it's a little scary. Yeah. So, you know, uh, um, uh, you probably like like uh, like like me and a lot of veterinarians. Sometimes we have to be just pet owners, too, with our own pets right. at home, right? For sure. And so there you are with your cat in the bathroom sink, and it's on yeah. the shower curtain <laughs> with a coat hanger, you know? And so it gives you insight into what your clients are right. trying to do Absolutely. at home, right? To get, yep. it's not like they've got a little mini clinic in there and they, they got an IV stand, right? Right? Yeah. right? They're, they're trying to corral their cat in a bathroom and hang it on the shower yep. rod. So it, it's not, it's not necessarily that easy. No, agreed. Yeah. So we have to be, I think we have to be thoughtful about yep. that. Have you ever tried any of these, um, like the sub uh, implantable ports? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, yes, I actually yeah. have. Um, yeah. ha- haven't had much success mm. and it, not quite sure. It might actually be a surgeon's question, um, mm-hmm. but if I recall, there were a lot of adhesions that would occur underneath, and, and the port would it. stop right. You know what we're talking about? Those little mm-hmm. buttons. Yeah. Have you tried those in cats? For I anything? have, but once again, normally to give uh, medications, yeah. not really to give fluids. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You know, it's so easy to give subcutaneous fluids to the cat. And yeah. You don't really need the port. Yeah. Right. And then there's those uh, implantable um, tubes. The fenestrated tubes. I don't mm. know if they're still around. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, there was just a type of impl- uh, implantable tube kit that was around for a while. Designed for pain management. Uh, yeah, like I guess sort of, sort of like that energies, theory. Yeah. But they were they were designed and sold for sub Q fluids. But okay. again, I think Maybe. cats are so good at like making fibrin and walling things off. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, and also like foreign body and cat. Right. Where does that lead? Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. So you want to be really careful about yep. that. Right. No, Speaking of oncology mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Yeah, and tumors. Yeah. yeah. So though I can't remember that we get a lot of, you know, uh, soft tissue sarcomas uh, referred that were caused by fluid administration. I did have a cat that um, formed a sarcoma at at a site of repeated subcutaneous fluid mm-hmm. administration. Oh, really? Coincidence oh, wow. or not? Who knows? Yeah. And yeah, it's a one out cool. of a million. Yeah. Obviously, Jeez. right? Mm. But I think if you're that predisposed cat. It might You're not take right. much. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, that's like one in a lifetime. So, yeah. you know, please don't let that's that. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't take Any that. Any other therapeutics that we should think yeah, about. Yeah. What, what else is key for these guys? Well, I mean, I think phosphorus control is a big one. Oh, yeah. Again, where is the evidence for that? It's, it's not, we know phosphorus is a problem in terms of the treatments. We do have some treatments that do work. There's no doubt. It's almost pick your drug, essentially. Aluminum yeah. hydroxide, calcium carbonate, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you worry about calcium levels in the calcium carbonate guys? I, I do. And yeah. if they're hypercalcemic to start with, you know, I may not use calcium carbonate. If they're if they already have calcium oxalate stones, especially yeah. if they're nephrolips, ureterolip cats, right. I try to avoid it when possible. And I'll go right. to aluminum hydroxide right. or lanthanum carbonate. Um, yeah, yeah, so you're able to get lanthanum. I was, and that's why I stopped myself. Yeah. I haven't been able to get in years. Not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. but no, no, like yeah. me too. And, I, and, I, yeah. and maybe it is in other countries, yeah. but it's kind of unfortunate for us. It right? worked great. Yeah, yeah. it worked expensive, great. Expensive, but worked Ex- great. Expensive, mm. but worked yeah. great. Um, so that leads me to another controversial topic: calcitriol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, 
it's <laughs> controversial, which is interesting. We've been talking about phosphorus, phosphorus yeah. control, mm. FGF23. Yet the one study that looked at calcitrol for cats failed to show a significant effect on survival mm. versus the dog study. Ooh, damn it, darn it. Mm. <laughs> so I said the D word. Okay. Thank you. Oh. You're doing pretty good. Oh, you're, you're, in the, yeah. you're in the top five, though. You're yeah, okay. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Darn it. You, were, you were there with oh, Stan, and now geez. you're dropping down. Yeah, you're dropping down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. So compared to that other species group that we treat in the small animal world, um, yeah, there was a failed survival benefit. Mm -hmm. So... I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings. I know some veterinarians go ahead and give it. Others don't. For me, it comes down to, okay, I'm going to prioritize the, the treatments that are going to make this cat feel right. better first. Right. right. So the GI stuff we were talking about, the right. kidney diet, you know, and phosphorus control where possible. Right. Potassium if you need Pota it. Exactly. Yeah. Potassium because we know potassium is going to make, make him feel bad feel if it's low. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm like you too. And it's, it's a low priority for me. Yep. Um, you know, we only have one study in the literature. Maybe it was the wrong dose. Maybe it was the wrong interval. We don't exactly. know. Small numbers. Small numbers. Yeah. But, you know, <clears throat> speaking in that overall scheme of things, it's also another burden to the owner. Mm -hmm. It's another drug to give. Another. Right? And it yeah. requires monitoring. And the yeah. drug is expensive. And yeah. the monitoring is expensive. Exactly. So it is a financial and a time burden mm -hmm. for yep. the owner. Right? Yep. So I think we have to be really thoughtful about where we place that in our hierarchy. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. 100%. Yeah. You know, I really like <clears throat> I like that you take a, a humane approach mm -hmm. to treating these guys. Or a feline approach. Yeah. yeah. A humane feline approach. Yeah. Because <laughs> these guys, these are cats that are in the last quarter of their lifespan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? They're, people are often very bonded to them. Yes. You know, younger people that, that they may have had that pet all of their life that they can remember. Mm. Right. Right. It's a huge moment um, yeah. in their lives. And I think as veterinarians, we have to be careful. We don't come in and just and like totally disrupt the bond. Right? Agreed. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'll often find that, yeah, if I have two patients, let's say that I might judge, you know, pretty similar in their in their kidney disease, I might do a whole lot with this guy and a lot less with that guy because yeah. it's just what works. Hundred percent. Yeah. And you know, coming back to phosphorus, that has been shown to show progression within right. between two cats who have the same stage of chronic kidney disease. Yeah. So there's no doubt controlling phosphorus is important. Yeah. And I think we're gonna learn a lot more about that over the next couple yeah. of years. Yeah. And who knows, we may come back to calcitrol. Yeah. Mm. So do you think we're gonna get <clears throat> some earlier markers of disruption of that whole like you know, now we talk about um what is it? Mineral, mm -hmm. uh, uh, renal mineral, bone mineral. Yeah, yeah, disease. That's right. yeah. yeah, I do. So, think so, do you think we'll get some like um, uh, maybe FGF twenty three? Do you think we might start seeing that? Yeah, I think so. I do think so. <clears throat> you know, um, I'm not up to date on that literature, yeah. but I think it's going to come out as an early biomarker, right. and who knows what else we're going to do? With right, because it goes up before phosphorus goes up. Exactly. It's predictive, right? Like, exactly. <clears throat> yeah, and right. before azotemia. Yeah, and, and for those cats that yeah. have renal disease and hypertension. Mm -hmm. yeah. For cats with renal disease, well, there's. Thankfully, this is one of the rare times where we have a drug that's very effective, which is amlodipine. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and it, it works quite well. And so that's less of a concern, which is good. It is. And then, and we have two drugs, although Telmasartan isn't um, in yeah. Canada. Exactly. We don't have the, the, the hypertension formulation. Yep. Mm. But in uh, in the U.S. and in, yep. in the EU, mm -hmm. um, it comes in a second uh, higher strength formulation. Right. That is um, suitable for for hypertension. So, and is it is it still a liquid? I, I haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, still a liquid. Is fantastic, right? It's still liquid. Cats? It's a ten milligram per mil liquid. Um, gotcha. the, the hypertension label. Yeah. Um, whereas we've had it in Canada for proteinuria for a long right. time at four milligrams per mil. So it's gotcha. kind of hard to use it for hypertension. Yeah, you'd finish the bottom. Much yeah. <laughs> and what's the dose you use? Oh goodness, I don't know. I never remember doses. Okay, we'll yeah. put it in the notes. Yeah, well, who knows yeah. doses? Thank yeah. you. Thank well, you. I do know that the way it's dosed for or licensed for hypertension in the U.S. is different from the way it's licensed mm -hmm. in Europe. 
and they're oh, just gotcha. flukes of the studies that contributed to the licensing in each country. Gotcha. So I know one starts off with Telmasartan at BID and one starts off at SID. And so as a veterinarian, I would look at that and I would say, is this cat easy to get a BID drug into? Yeah. Then I might follow that route if yeah. that's what your country <laughs> says, right? Yeah. But if it's hard, I might say, hey, it's licensed over here at once a day. Yeah. I'm going to start like that. Yeah. yeah. So and, it all works. So it doesn't matter. And we're almost at the end of the podcast. So let's Ooh. talk about end stage renal disease. Ah, mm. what do we do? Yeah. What do so we do? you're stage four, guys. It, Survival is like weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, it's, it's all about quality of life. Yeah. You know, of course, I mean, it's important to have that discussion with the owner. What does this mean? Where are we? What does this mean in terms of survival and quality of life? Yeah. You know, and to me, it's about maximizing quality of life in that in that passage to. Yeah. You know, to... Do you use any um, quality of life scales or any of those um, tools? No, I don't actually. Those? Yeah. You know, because there's a number in the literature. Some have been um, devised specifically like for cancer patients. And there's a couple that are a little bit more generic. So mm -hmm. I've been kind of interested in having owners start to use those as their cat mm, is late to help them because you, yep. you don't see the forest for the trees you know you right. kind of get lost yep. in your cat's disease so for sure be nice to know um if they help owners in yep. their decision making process yeah. no i think that's fantastic yeah. for me you know once they're in that stage four if they're truly in stage four i actually back off on mm, a lot of the a lot of stuff. treatments you know you know try not to treat phosphorus i let them eat whatever they yeah. want you know for sure i try appetite stimulants and subacute right. fluids but mm. You know, it's about making that cat as right. better as it can be. Right. If you've got a month better. or six weeks left, we want it to be the happiest exactly. month or six weeks that you yep. can have. Yeah. And do you do any extreme procedures here, like right. uh, you know, like dialysis, dialysis, or? renal transplants, uh, etc.? You know, when when I was in New York, um, obviously I trained in hemodialysis, but we only did hemodialysis in that other species and small mm -hmm. animal that we treat yeah. chronically. Mm -hmm. In cats, we only did acute for acute a number of reasons. Injury. Yeah, they they developed too many dialysis related complications mm -hmm. on chronic dialysis, um, and it has more to do about their blood volume. So the reality is, chronic dialysis for cats is is not really as feasible as it could be. So no, that's not a therapy. Um, transplant, I think, is there, there's ethical concerns mm. because you do have to adopt have the, donor. Uh, the donor that yes. has one kidney. Who, and as who we can't know, consent. Who can't consent, right. Mm. You know, and has left one kidney, yeah. you know. So, you know, I think there's there's a whole ethical discussion there, um, you know. And so. I think it is that the ethical discussion is even worse because we know 80% will get renal disease. So mm. now you have... Another mm -hmm. cat. Another cat right. that will get renal disease and with only one cat. And if they develop ureteral disease, oh, they're you know toast. they're in trouble. Yeah. You know, so there's no doubt. There's a, there's a whole discussion around that. The reality is with renal transplants, cats are gonna live an average of two to three years with that new kidney. Mm -hmm. So if you think about that, you know, it, mm. is it worth it? Exactly. I think I think yeah. you really have to ask that question. Yeah. So in, in human medicine they have now uh, dialysis that is a lot less invasive. Mm -hmm. uh, sub Q implanted yeah. dialysis ah. and yeah. that sort of things is there anything in animals that we know does it work in animals because you know i, I remember that uh, a, a friend of a friend of a friend uh, had acute renal disease yep. and now he's on this minimal invasive dialysis mm -hmm. and it's much better than sitting in for f hours and hours and hours he's just right. at home and it's is this something that they do at home yeah, so I think there's two things they can do at home now. They can either do per, uh, they can do um, uh, peritoneal dialysis at home. So you mm -hmm. actually get a peritoneal dialysis catheter ah. implanted. 
you go home with a machine. That's mm -hmm. exactly right. Um, that slowly does your dialysis over multiple hours. Um, they also have units for home now to do um, continuous renal replacement as well as home wow. um, intravenously yeah. as well, once yeah. you have your graft. And they do sell units, and I know I have some colleagues who have tried it in animals. Yeah. Again, mostly the other species that we will not yeah. talk about today. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just too challenging in cats, yeah. you know, because their abdominal space is so small, they form yeah. a lot of adhesions, and, you know, they, they'll clog that catheter probably really quickly. Yeah, yeah. a lot harder That's than cats. Interesting, so. Cats bring their own uh, challenges, don't they, to the table? Yeah, they sure do. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a really great uh, review of uh, chronic kidney disease in, I know. in cats. That's awesome. That was yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. thank you so much. Yes. I think we're at the end of uh, oh, of our 50 minutes already. It's so crazy. Oh, you guys have been we great. We didn't even thank talk so about much. acute kidney injury. I know. We we, next time. You need to come back. Yeah, yeah you we'll come talk back. about ureteral okay. lids. Yep. I know. I yep. know there's so many other yeah. stuff. I'll definitely come back. It'll be my pleasure. Oh, you're wonderful. So thank you so much once again. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yerwa Kirkenstein is a diplomat of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at G-V-E-T-S-X. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirkenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at Her Podcast. 